Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. Broadcasting from London, I'm Stefan Cohn. And from Olympia, Washington, I'm Andrea Ballard. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. On today's show, we continue our potlucks and picnics theme with a recipe that uses a preheated favorite, overripe bananas. But don't worry, we'll also throw in some blueberries and cream cheese frosting. Then we'll briefly analyze our personalities and see if we can figure out why we bake the way we do. And we'll review our indoor s'mores. Are they as good as the outdoor version? So pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, I'm curious if you have ever heard of vanilla bean powder or vanilla bean paste. This is incredible. I just, 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 maybe last week, I came across vanilla bean powder in a grocery store here, and I have never seen it before. Are you are you cooking with this? Well, I don't know. We appear to be living parallel lives, even though we're an ocean <laughs> apart. Um, I, I visited a friend of mine in California over the weekend, and she has a recipe for baked donuts. So I thought that was really fun because I'm not the best deep fryer in the world. And we were making the recipe and she had me working on the icing and she handed me this little bag. And um, I had read the recipe. The recipe called for, I think, a teaspoon of vanilla extract. So I was looking for a a bottle on the counter. And I said to her, you know, I can't can't find the vanilla. And she said, it's right there in front of you. And I said, where? And she points to the bag and says, right there. And I picked it up and it said vanilla bean powder. And she uses it either straight in in place of vanilla bean extract, or sometimes she does a half and half. So if a recipe called for, say, two teaspoons of vanilla extract, she might use one teaspoon of extract and one teaspoon of the powder. And she said the extract for her imparts a little bit of a boozy flavor that she kind of likes. Yeah, okay. But she finds the the powder to be more... um, helpful and specifically in icings like on these donuts they had a nice white creamy icing and she just thinks it's powders better in icing so I, I had never even heard of vanilla bean powder and and then she is the one who told me there's also something called vanilla bean paste so I'm really curious about that as well and does she feel that the flavor is a little more intense on the powder or that it just dissolves better? Or what, what's her um, reason for using it, I guess? So her re- my initial thought was her reason was um, coloring because I thought to myself, oh, most vanilla extracts have that brown color. And if you're mm-hmm. making a white mm-hmm. icing, maybe she didn't want that. And I was holding the, the vanilla bean powder bag and it was opaque, so I couldn't see the color of the powder. But then when I open the bag, the powder looks like cocoa powder. It's dark brown. I mean, it's it's clearly, you know, the little vanilla beans ground into a powder. So okay. I thought, okay, well, she's not doing this for color. So it was more about consistency in her mind. Um, instead of adding the liquid into the icing, she just likes the idea of having the powder. Yeah, it's really funny that you brought that up because uh, – I've been, you know, trolling the aisles as I as I can and just coming across all kinds of products and was in the baking aisle and we had um, 
Uh, we had some crafts projects going on. My daughter needed some edible glitter. And so I found that too, which was a, a, something I hadn't really experimented with before. And kind of right next to it was this powdered vanilla. And I turn over the box and it, it says exactly what your friend does. It says perfect for icings, you know, just whisk it in with the like powdered sugar yeah. and, and go from there. And so it's definitely something I want to give a big try to. I'm such a vanilla fan. I'll try it in any in any form, you know, liquid powder or whatever. Um, yeah. And baked donuts. Do you, did she have the little bake, baking donut pan? She did. Yeah. 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 Those are great. Yeah, and it was really pretty fun. Good. Yeah. We, we enjoyed it. And you feel like, you know, it's just a tiny little bit healthier <laughs> than the fried ones. Um, and they were good. They were, they were from a cute website called Baked by an Introvert. So <laughs> I thought that was kind of a, since we're talking personalities today, Very Very I thought that was kind of a kind of a fun thing. Well, speaking of vanilla, I made my very favorite chocolate chip cookies, which are called Carolyn's chocolate chip cookies. It's a Martha Stewart recipe I've been making for years and years now, and they are very heavy on the vanilla, which is one reason I really love them. And I'm still figuring things out. Um, Andrea, I had kind of been maybe a little bit too cocky in a last episode about <laughs> saying, I know my oven and I'm feeling very confident because, of course, the universe um. sends, sends something to test me. Um, so the, the thing, and I'd love to get some listener feedback on this too, um, the set point for our oven is a convection oven. And there is a way to modify it away from a convection oven, but what it wants to be is a convection oven. And I okay. don't have a lot of experience baking with a convection oven. And what I have heard and recipes I've looked at have said, what you want to do is reduce the temperature. So if the, um, if the recipe calls in this case, I'll just go ahead and use the Fahrenheit. It calls for 325. So then I would be using, um, now I'm going to have to do math really fast. <laughs> 305. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Three hundred five. That's a super low oven. And anyway, and so on the um, convection in the in the features of my uh, British Celsius, it's one hundred and fifty. Um, okay. And I just am questioning if it was a mix of you know I had all the ingredients and I used my very. Um, precious uh, chocolate chips, semi-sweet chocolate chips that I had in my suitcase and brought to this country. Okay, okay <laughs> so that was my first. Sacrificed a bag of those. <laughs> that was my first thought. Well, and you've got to get this figured out because you only have a limited supply. Now I only have so like four bags left. And so I couldn't, I just couldn't get, I think it was a temperature thing because even when, you know, the first batch was just kind of still too gooey and they are supposed to be a really chewy, gooey cookie, but it was just too much. And, and even though I was adjusting the cooking time, I think it was just that the temperature was so low. It was, you, do you know what I mean? It hadn't even, mm -hmm. it just wasn't going to get there. And so I'd love to know yeah. if you have experience with convection baking. Um, I have more experience with cooking like a roast or something at convection, but yes. not something like a cookie or a cake. And um, yeah, any any thoughts just off the top of your head? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, well, no, no good thoughts. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I have questions. So it, so it wasn't the taste, it was the texture? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So are your pans new or did you bring pans from home with you? So this is another issue too. Um, all of the ovens here come equipped with something called an oven. It's like an oven ready pan. And what it looks like is, do you have a broiler pan? Yes. So it looks like the bottom portion of the broiler pan. And instead of just sitting, like we would have the pan sit on top of the rack, the pan itself slides into the oven like a rack, but it is a pan. Okay. And so what people do is just bake everything on that. 
And so I was skeptical of that because it seems more like an insulated cookie sheet. And I know that can kind of throw off results a little bit. So I did the first batch just in a tiny um, kind of half size cookie sheet. Because that's the other thing. This oven is smaller. So smaller, I can't, yeah. I couldn't even bring my big, like regular size cookie sheets. Um, so I did the first one in my regular mini and then they were okay. just way too gooey and I switched to the big and it just, I, it wasn't, I, I couldn't tell that that was helping or hindering this process. Um, hmm. I put a few more on the sheet because it was bigger, but you know, it wasn't, yes. uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I was asking about the pan because I have found sometimes I, I get all excited around holiday time because a lot of the places will put their cookie sheets on sale for the upcoming season and I'll buy some new ones. And I found that I get variable results until I've baked with them a few times. It's almost like a, a cast iron pan. It feels like they need to be seasoned a bit. That's a really good point, Andrea, because these are brand new. These that's, oven that's ready pans. Thinking. Yeah. So it might be interesting just to, um, I don't know if you could just run a few cycles, you know, just pop them in and out of the oven, but they might need actual things on them to sort of do that, that seasoning. Hmm. So maybe over time it might change. Yeah. If that's really, that's really good. All right. Well, I will, I will report back. And of course the cookies yes. were, you know, totally edible. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> I <were> just, <laughs> just, I like that it didn't stop you. It's just, and it's just a recipe that I'm so comfortable with that I can just turn it out really quickly. And I was having to like mm -hmm. mess with the time, mess with the temperature. And so that was, that was kind of unusual for me as well. But yeah, so that's I'll, what I've been making up. Uh, and a, a little bit of my other thought is in chocolate chip cookies, I think a couple of key ingredients are the butter and the egg. And I think your butter and your eggs are fresher uh, based on what we've been talking about and what your eggs look like with those bright yellow yolks. Now, in my mind, that would make the cookie better, but it also just might make it different. And I think that's another great point. I think the butter here may have a higher butter fat. Mm -hmm. And I, that was one of the thoughts that I had too, mm -hmm. um, that it was just, and I don't know what you do there if you scale back on the butter. That also is taking away like some moisture and some kind of the wet ingredient aspect of the cookie. Um, but at the same time, if there's more fat, it's going to throw off just some chemistry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we have a whole huge discussion coming up about butter. Just butter. Right. That's all. Right. Just butter. Because I well, can literally write a book on it at this point. It's so many choices. And and flour. I mean, I think you posted the most adorable pictures in the world of the um, baking products you bought. And that flour was in the cute little cardboard box. And I, yep. I'm thinking off the top of my head, it said something about local. Did it say that? Like it was grown locally or? It is British wheat. You're right. Yes. Could be and just a so different kind of That could just be a wheat. whole different thing. I mean, a completely, because I've noticed differences in my pie crust when I switch flours. Okay, just even brands of flour? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I okay. mean because they have different protein content, different gluten content and um that so I say all of your variables have changed, so it's <laughs> not surprising that your cookies taste different. <laughs> yeah, the literally the only thing that was the same were, were my chips and my vanilla because I was able to find yeah. the exact same vanilla brand here that I use in the states. So, um I know. Well, onward. Onward we go with many onward. a delicious yes. taste test to come. So, well, let's talk about maybe something that did turn out okay, at least on my end, our easy no-bake indoor s'mores bars that we introduced last week on episode 39. I made these, I 
love this recipe because my family loves s'mores. And by my family, I mean my child. So she constantly is wanting us to do s'mores outside. And I like the idea of s'mores outside, but they're such a mess, you know, and you just end up with burned marshmallows, marshmallows in your hair. Sometimes the next morning I look down, my dog's got marshmallows in his coat. (laughs) Because I think as the marshmallows catch on fire, people will fling them with oh. the sticks. And my dog's really good at catching those. <laughs> and anyway, it's just a, a big mess. But I love the flavor. I love graham crackers. I love chocolate. I love marshmallows. I really liked this recipe because she uses bittersweet chocolate. And mm-hmm. that's one thing I do even when I'm making outdoor s'mores is I will buy the regular Hershey's milk chocolate for my child. But for myself, a lot of times I'll buy a bittersweet chocolate or a Hershey's dark chocolate bar and use that because I like that flavor a little bit better. So I really like the idea that this is the same flavor, but without the mess. And I'm curious what you thought about the recipe. Well, in the interest of full disclosure, Andrea, this is a recipe I made when I was still in Seattle. And... Uh, oh, two, yeah. I yeah. So it's it's been a while. I had to dig out my notes for this one, and there were a few reasons I decided to do that. Listeners, um, Andrea and I schedule our shows about two months. We work about two months in advance, so we do kind of know what's coming down the the pipeline. Um, but one reason, and in Quick Bite thirty three, I think it was thirty three or thirty four, I talk about the kind of thrill of using up um, ingredients, and I was doing that. Just for weeks when I was getting ready to move, I had all this food that was half open. I was trying to get rid of it. And this recipe came up and I said, I have everything right now and I need to use it up. So I'm going to go ahead and make it ahead of time. Um, So that was one reason. The other was that I knew we weren't shipping a barbecue and I didn't (laughs) know... I didn't know, um, although these are indoor, I wouldn't have been, you know, that wouldn't have been a problem. But... um, at, at any rate, uh, I, I didn't know if s'mores were going to be a, a thing or or how that was going to go. So um, s'mores are I was actually huge... wondering yeah. if, if they sold many marshmallows where you are now, because I thought that might be something that's sort of U.S. specific. And I'll have to wait and see since I didn't have to buy that product here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right, if, if that is. Um, so s'mores are a huge big deal in my family. And the fact that we haven't mm-hmm. sent us shipped a a barbecue is is kind of a sad feeling. They definitely sell them here. It's just not been a priority to like run out and like, I still don't have a couch. So that's kind of what I'm focusing on right now. Um, but, but I did pack chocolate chips in my suitcase. So I, I'm just so schizophrenic. I think you've got your priorities straight. It sounds like to me. Um, everyone in my family loved these. And so as s'more lovers, they were, you know, we had to cross a pretty high bar. Um, I did shrink this recipe by just a bit because I had a lot of kind of half open packages of stuff. I wasn't, I couldn't go out and buy new, new ingredients, um, as I was getting ready to leave. So I shrunk it by just a little bit. I think it calls for a nine by 13. I ended up using an 11 by seven. Um, I did think it, it was very good, very adaptable as far as, you know, I have this much graham cracker. I have this much, you know, of the, of the chips. I, it, mm-hmm. it came together very well for me, just reducing by about a quarter. Um, I think my family though, and, and in particular, um, myself, I thought that the bittersweet was a little distracting. I did want that milk chocolate kind of classic mm-hmm. Hershey bar flavor of the s'more. So if I make these again, and I don't see why I would not, they were great. Um, I would go back to just a classic milk chocolate, but that's just all down to preference. So 
Yeah, I I thought this recipe was interesting. The the crust is sort of your typical graham cracker crust, just with you know ground graham crackers, light brown sugar, salt, and a little bit of water, and then of course your melted butter that you just press down into the bottom of your pan. The chocolate layer, <clears throat> as you just mentioned, was the um, bittersweet chocolate with a cup of heavy cream. When I was reading this recipe, I thought to myself, you know, I know I like bittersweet chocolate, but the people in my family don't like it as much as I do. Okay. So I started I started doing a little um, researching around, and I found that Barefoot Contessa had an episode where she talked about what does bittersweet chocolate mean? What does semi-sweet chocolate really mean? So similar to when you did your investigative reporting on the <laughs> expiration dates, it turns out oh. <laughs> that these labels of bittersweet, semi-sweet, milk chocolate are really all over the board. Okay. So legally, bi- both bittersweet and semi-sweet have to contain at least 35% pure chocolate. Okay. And the rest can be a combination of sugar and cocoa butter. And that's why a lot of recipes will say bittersweet and semi-sweet is interchangeable. And I've always thought that was so strange because I thought, how could those two be interchangeable? They're so different. Um, right. But I think yeah. that's the reason. It's, it's if you're looking at the legal definition, which okay. I'm sure most of our listeners do before they start <laughs> baking. That's really now, important. legally, what's your recommendation on this recipe, <laughs> Andrea? Um, and then the legal definition for milk chocolate was at least 10% pure chocolate. So those are what okay. the percentages refer to is how much pure chocolate is in the recipe as opposed to sugar. So milk has to have at least 10% pure chocolate. Semi has to have um, at least 50 and then or at least 35 and bittersweet was um, the same at 35. But that just sounds crazy to me. So the Barefoot Contessa, what I like that she talked about was she just has her own ranges. And she said, this is what I use. So she says bittersweet is 60%, semi-sweet is 50%, and milk is 40%. Okay. And that's what she follows. Okay. And then I found a really interesting article. We had talked in a previous episode about Alice Medrick, the yeah. mm-hmm. lady who's the chocolate expert. And she talked about how, you know, the latest craze are these really high percentage, super dark chocolate, super bittersweet, with kind of 70% being the new standard that, you know, you can get in the grocery store. Right. And Truly. she said that. You know, truly bitter. And she said, you know, that's really great. But speaking of when you're trying to duplicate a recipe, she said, if you're making a a recipe that use, you know, from your mom or your grandmother and you're using a 70 percent, be prepared for it to taste different because your grandmother and your mother did not have access to 70 percent chocolate. And so even if it says bittersweet, if you want it to taste like it tasted when you were growing up, you want to use 60% or okay. or even a little bit lower. So I thought that was really interesting. And I do think um, when I make this again, I'm with you. I think I'll back off. I personally like the bittersweet, but it does it does stand out. It's sort of the dominant flavor when you do that. Whereas if you do more of a milk, you kind of taste everything all together, I think. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, There, you know, this, it it smelled like a s'more when I was making this and it got all puffy and brown like a toasted marshmallow would. She has the really smart uh, tip to, you know, cut those into squares before you um, do the, do the marshmallow topping. Uh, One thing, listeners, I, my dishes that I have that were either the nine by 13 or the 11 by 17 that I, or the 11 by seven that I ended up using um, are Pyrex. And Technically, legally, you shouldn't put a Pyrex. <laughs> you shouldn't put a Pyrex under the broiler. 
And I speak from mm. experience. Um, you can, they, they will shatter. Oh, no. You can, you can do almost anything with a Pyrex. You know, you can, you can boil something yeah. in it. You can, you know, stick it in the freezer. You can do all this stuff. One thing you cannot do with it is put it in the broiler. And so several years ago, I had a really bad experience and my, my, um, dish of bar cookies just shattered. That that was that. Oh. So, um, anyway, so I'm always very careful when I, when I do something like that now. And I really think it comes down to the change in temperature. And so this is a place you have put that in the fridge to, um, or I mm-hmm. had put it in the fridge to chill and to harden yeah. up the chocolate. And then you're going to put it back, um, to broil those marshmallows. So if you're doing that in a Pyrex, uh, or glass, uh, dish, just Take it out for, you know, five to 10 minutes and let it sit, kind of come up to temperature and then put it under your broiler for a few minutes and you won't have a problem. I didn't have a problem with this one, but I did take that extra step to just not put it straight from the ice cold fridge into the broiler where it would get super hot. That's the, that's the real difference I think that is making that, um, that Pyrex crack. So just a little tip there. Really good point. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, so that was, let's see, where did this one come from? This was from Serious Eats, wasn't it? Yeah. It, it, yeah, and it it comes from um, a lady named Yvonne uh, Ruperti, I think is yeah, how her Ruperti. last name is uh-huh. pronounced. Mm-hmm. And um, what I love about her is she has a cookbook called One Bowl Baking. And so <laughs> you, the best. you can imagine I find that very intriguing. And that's also her column on Serious Eats is she writes a, a One Bowl Baking column on Serious Eats. So. Yeah, I mean, making s'mores even more accessible year-round, that's that's a win for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, next week, Andrea, we are going to do a cake that is making use of a preheater favorite. I know you and I as well, which is overripe bananas. This is a delicious-sounding banana cake. It has the addition of some uh, fresh summer blueberries and then a cream cheese icing. And it's going to be a great way, I think, to use up some bananas. You know, many, many preheaters are big, huge banana bread fans. We've talked about using frozen bananas for uh, frozen banana ice cream or um, obviously smoothies, things like that. This is just another entry into that category of what can you do. I love a banana cake. I love cream cheese frosting. This really is reminding me of that snack cake we did back in, gosh, uh, I think still in oh. 2016, you know, just like a oh, gosh. nine by 13. Cho- right. Chocolate snack cake. I think exactly. that was episode four. Yeah, episode four, my goodness. Yes. Um, So just one of those, you know, nine by 13 inch cakes that's just kind of a humble, delicious cake. You can cut off big chunks of it and have it kind of any time of day. I'm really looking forward to making this one. And the other reason I picked this one, and I think it's a good one, is for our potlucks and picnics month, is it's fun to bring a cake to a potluck, but not a fancy cake, (laughs) you know, because transporting a cake in your car (laughs) can be a little difficult. Yeah. So this is just one of those, um, you know, 9 by 13 sheet pan cakes, really easy to travel with. Even though it has icing, you know, you could could just put a little saran wrap over it and take it to your party if you want to share it. So I thought that would be a a good entry to have a cake in our picnic picnics and potlucks month. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's from The Kitchen, which is K-I-T-C-H-N, her her blog there. So look that up and bake along with us. We'll also put that link up on our website, preheatedpodcast.com and up on Facebook and our Pinterest pages as well. I can't wait to see if some of our preheaters try it, how it turns out. 
We're going to turn our topics over now toward our personalities. And (laughs) Stefan and I are both big fans of Gretchen Rubin. She's written books like The Happiness Project, and she has a new book coming out in the fall called The Four Tendencies. And it's all about how you tend to respond to expectations. So just to give you a quick rundown on it, she's got four different types of people and how they respond to both inner and outer expectations. So an outer expectation is something like a deadline or um, traffic rules, so something from the outside. And then an inner expectation is something you've set for yourself, like keeping a New Year's resolution or giving up sugar. And so when you think about outer and inner expectations and how you respond to them, here's the four people. So the first category is upholders, and these people respond readily to both outer and inner expectations. The second category is questioners. These people question all expectations, and they will meet an expectation, but only if they think it makes sense. Um, The third category is obligers, and these people meet outer expectations but struggle to meet expectations they set for themselves. And the final category is rebels, and these people resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. (laughs) So, Stefan, you have (laughs) taken the quiz. How did you turn out? What's your category? Well, of no surprise um, to you, Andrea, or really to me when I took the quiz, I am a strong upholder. I love my rules. I love following rules. It upsets me when people don't follow the rules. <laughs> and I have a funny kind of not baking related um, a situation where this would apply. I was um, running, I was having a jog uh, down a road that has a lot of embassies on it here in London, and there is um, signs at both ends that say no photography allowed, these big red signs. And so I'm just having my having my run and it's beautiful and all the embassies are there and it's this tree-lined, um, it's, it's public, you can go there, but it's, you know, clearly an important, important street. And all of a sudden, these horse-drawn carriages come out of one of the embassies and there's people there, I don't know, there was six horse-drawn carriages and they have the People on them are all dressed up in their hats and not like in costume, oh like gosh. in like in modern day fancy clothes, but without their hats. Right. And and they have like the livery are with them and they all have these horses all around them. And I'm just, I'm stopped. And I'm like, what? You know, who are these people? I'm scanning like whose faces are there? And all around me, what are people doing? Taking pictures. And I just wanted to go around and say, it said no pictures. It said no pictures. Breaking the rules. You're breaking the rules. Oh my gosh. So I'm I'm guessing, was this royalty? I mean, is this of some kind, you know, or I, I guess it must have been. Um, you know, on the other hand, Only it could have had been. a photo. <laughs> I'll never know. But damn it, oh, I followed the rules. Um, yeah. So uh, um. you know, that's just that's just kind of a a, a very classic example. When I knew we were talking about this and then that happened, I thought, well, there is the so example funny. I will give. Um, I think in the kitchen, what that means is that I follow the recipe, especially the first yes. time I make something, I follow the recipe. I, yes. it, it pains me to have to deviate. Um, you know, I will if I have to, but I just think, that's not how it's written. And, you know, that can be, um, that can be a hard way to live as well to, to try right. to, you know, always be towing the line. But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm 100% an upholder. And yeah. um, Andrea, what, uh, what category are you? 
Well, again, not to my surprise or probably yours, I am an obliger. So um, the obligers are the largest percentage of the population. And we, you know, we'll meet an expectation if we've told someone else, we will do it. Uh, but if we've we've told ourselves we'll do something, it can fall by the wayside. Okay. So I thought kind of the way this shows up for me in the, in the kitchen, for example, is if Someone ask me to make something homemade for a bake sale or a potluck, I will absolutely do it. Um, and it would never occur to me if they ask me to make a homemade thing, you know, to go to the grocery store and buy something and then just show up and be like, oh, I didn't have time. So I just, you know, bought some cookies. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I just I think that's um, just uh, the way that I'm going to do things is I'm going to do what people ask me to do. Similarly, with a potluck, a lot of times when I go to potlucks, um, I get assigned something, you know, based on your last name. So they'll say mm -hmm. like, okay, a, you know, A through L, you bring a main dish and, yeah. you know, K, right. uh, M through S, bring a side dish and then T through Z, bring a dessert. And I remember I'd always think, oh, I wish I was in the dessert category. And why, one of my friends said, well, why don't you just say you're going to bring a dessert anyway? And I was like, because they asked me for a main dish. Right. You know, it just yes. didn't occur yes. to me. Yes. So I thought that was kind of how, how things showed up for me, being an obliger in the kitchen. The questioners, I think, are really interesting. And I saw one of our preheated listeners, I think it was Lydia, um, posted and said that she's a questioner and people get tired of her questions. Yes. And so I thought for the for the home bakers, you know, those are the people who are like, well, why do I have to add the salt now and not later? Yes. Why do I have to do the dry liquid dry and end on the dry when I'm making a cake? And when I really think of questioners, I think these are the people who love Cook's Illustrated recipes. Oh, because oh yes, you know, the, obviously everyone who works in the Cook's Illustrated kitchen must be a questioner. Yes, <laughs> because you know it's that. What if I remake this recipe, but instead of a quarter teaspoon of white vinegar, I use an eighth of a yeah. teaspoon? <laughs> And, and why does it have to be white vinegar? Why can't it be apple cider yeah. vinegar? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I think I think the questioners um, are probably really good bakers because they figure out the science behind things and kind of know why they're doing things. And then they they can improvise from there. Whereas I think the upholders sometimes struggle to improvise because well, that's the rule. That's the mm -hmm. way we should we should do it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. The yeah. final category is rebels, and these people, I don't personally know any rebels in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> I, you know, for these people, they're going to resist all expectations. So even even for themselves, even if they've said, well, this is what I'm going to do, sometimes they won't do it just because they said they were going to do it. Um, I'm thinking these people, though, their identity is very important to them. So, you know, it could be if they develop that identity as, let's say, the natural food person, then they're going to bake in a healthy way. Or if they have the, I'm the, you know, big over-the-top dessert person, then they're going to be the person who brings the big over-the-top dessert to a party. I don't know. What do you think? I think so too. And I think um, something about that personality is that you can kind of flip the psychology of it. And so if you tell them, you'll never make a cake that's as beautiful as you know, oh, what's on the yes. cover of this, then they'll say, watch me. And then right. they will, you know, they will. So it's it's kind of the reverse of what some of the other personalities might be um, might be framing the the challenge or the question as um, to right. say you can't do this. And then they'll say, "Well, just watch me do this." So oh, that's a really good point. Yeah. 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 Well, 
Listeners, we would love if you would continue to take the quiz and post your results on our Facebook page, the Preheated Group. We're loving seeing what styles you are. And I'm curious where the um, bulk of our listeners fall into the category. It'll be interesting to see if we tend to lean more one way than another. Yeah, absolutely. And then we can, you know, um, one thing that Gretchen does a great job of pointing out, and we will also, is that none of these are like a right or wrong, or it's not something you need to fix about yourself. It's just that you need to know it about yourself. And knowing it about other people can be really helpful too, because um, something really profound, but hard, hard to do is to say, this is how I do it. And then why isn't that person doing it like I would? Well, it's just, right. that's not how they see the world. And so right, right. <laughs> somebody yeah. is taking a picture of the, the carriage and, you know. <laughs> or, you know, I did, you know, as an obliger, if I assigned people to bring certain things to my house for a party, and this has thrown me for a loop before, if people say to me, what can I bring? And I say, oh, I would love it if you would bring a salad. And then they show up and they didn't bring a salad and they brought something else. It can really throw me for a loop. Uh, because, again, as an obliger, if someone asked me to bring a salad, that's what I would bring. Yeah. And so it's good to remember that, you know, just because that's the way I operate, that's not the default mode for other people. Yeah, that's important in life and in the kitchen, too. So, yeah, kind mm-hmm. of a fun thing. We'd love to, to hear more about what our bakers are up to and under their personality styles. One last little thing from Gretchen that I think applies to this as well is she has also talked about whether your preference is to be a finisher or an opener. So a finisher would be the person who loves squeezing out the last little drop of ketchup from the ketchup bottle or, you know, the last um, dollop of mayonnaise from the mayonnaise jar. An opener is the person who loves breaking the seal on that bottle and peeling back the plastic and and diving in. Uh, Stefan, what do you think you are, a finisher or an opener? I'm a finisher, and I say that pretty much without hesitation, although it's, you know, this move has been so interesting. You you really see yourself um, in more st- kind of stark t- contrast, I guess, than sometimes you do in when you're just in the run of the mill of ordinary life. And um, it was, I wouldn't say traumatic, but it was certainly uh, dramatic having to pack up, you know, literally everything we owned and, and that it's, that it's arriving here now. And I'm just having this very satisfying time, you know, like (laughs) using up this, this hand cream or using up this, um, I can't say it about kitchen food because that's all new, but you know, just using up an everyday item and then thinking like, just you know, slapping my hands together and saying that's done. And it's like one less cluttery thing. And it, it feels so very freeing. And then I can decide like, do I want to replace this? I remember how, um, painful it was to have to label and and sort and organize all of this to, to go across the ocean. So mm, I'm having some second thoughts about maybe replacing that or, or, um, you know, at least right away. So it's a very satisfying feeling to me. Um, how about you, Andrea? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely a finisher, for yeah. sure. I, I I love nothing more than kind of getting to the bottom of the pickle jar. And yes. um, I, my husband is a finisher as, as well. And one thing we've been talking about is how to change our language around finishing things. Because one thing we tend to say is we use the phrase, got rid of it. So mm-hmm. we'll say something like, I'm so happy we got rid of that jar of pickles, meaning finished it. And we've been talking about how that's really so unappetizing to talk about something that you're eating as we got rid of it. 
Uh, yeah, you right. mean you ate it? You mean you cooked with it? You know, so we're trying to change our language around that. But it really goes back to just that we have that same thing, that satisfying feeling. Um, I was experiencing it recently because I bought a flat of marionberries and a flat of raspberries. And I used some of them. I froze some of them. And then I put some in the fridge. And especially when something's got sort of a time clock ticking on it, I know it's going to spoil if I don't use it. It makes me so happy when I finish that last little raspberry and none went bad. I didn't have to throw any away. It was a really satisfying feeling. Yeah. And I mean, these recipes that we just talked about, that s'mores, that was a definite finisher um, challenge that I sent for myself there, as well as, you know, this banana cake, you are using up those bananas to their fullest potential and not having to, um, you know, discard them, but making something beautiful out of them. So yeah. Such a good feeling. So listeners, tell us if you're a finisher or an opener, and we'd love to hear what makes you tick in the kitchen. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get to the dishes. Join us next week as we talk about a perfect picnic item that uses summer plums. We'll also take a look at the latest food trend of protein-packed baked goods and decide if they are really good or just good for you. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and download us on Apple and Google Podcast, where we'd love it if you subscribed to the show and gave us a five-star review, both of which will help others find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.